When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, and welcome into the Star Wars Legends Lounge, the show celebrating the books from Star Wars Legends. I'm Aaron Motes. Today, I'm going to talk about a Legends book that I had never read before until this past week, Rogue Planet by Greg Bear, a story from the prequel era featuring 12-year-old Anakin Skywalker and his young master, Obi-Wan Kenobi. But before we get into the book, I have some listener feedback emails from two people, actually. Very, very exciting. The first is from Jacob Gibson. I hope I pronounced that correctly. And he says, Hello there. I listened to your Bane Trilogy reviews, and I really enjoyed them. It's been a while since I've read the books, so it was good to remember the plot in an entertaining way. You talked about Heir to the Empire being your first Star Wars book you read back in 1992. Maybe you could review some other Star Wars books of Zahn besides the Thrawn trilogy because I really enjoyed his other works. And Jacob also sent me a second email that says, Thank you for your episode on Rogue Squadron. I recently finished the first four Stackpole books and it's nice to hear another opinion on it. I have another view on Corrin Horn because I read the New Jedi Order books before the X-Wing books and absolutely adore him but that's just subjective. I wanted to give you a little correction on your comparison of the Imperial Security Bureau with former German intelligences. The one from Eastern Germany, the Stasi, wasn't the same like in World War II. During the war, there were the SD, the Gestapo, and the SS. Well, thank you so much for the emails, Jacob. I know you sent them a while ago, but somehow they got sent to my spam folder and uh, I just found them in there this week. I'm sorry I did not see them earlier. First, let me say thank you very much for listening and getting in touch. And thank you for correcting my comparison about the Imperial Security Bureau and the East German Intelligence Police. I love learning things about history that I didn't know before. As to your email about reading other Zahn books... Uh, I've gotten a few requests from listeners lately about reviewing their favorite legend stories. So, on Saturday, May 22nd, I'll be putting out a schedule of the next 10 books I'm going to cover on the show's Twitter feed, at Legends Lounge 1. And I'll make sure to include one or two of the Zon books on there. Now, I also got a very nice email from Max Birch. And Max says, Hi. I just discovered your show, and I really like it. Keep up the good work. I like everything about the Sith, but I think you will get to more than just the Bane trilogy. Thank you for showing me more than just the few books I've read. I will read the Rogue Squadron books now. 
Well, Max, thank you very much for the email. One of the best things about doing the show is hearing from listeners who say they had never read one of the legend's stories before, but now they're going to seek it out based on what they heard on the show. You don't know how great that makes me feel. Max, Jacob, thank you again for the messages. If you'd like to be like Max or Jacob and contact the show, feel free to contact me at swlegendslounge at gmail.com and I promise to check the spam folder more often to make sure none of your emails are getting sent there by mistake. Also, if you'd like to tweet the show, I'm at legendslounge1. I really enjoyed interacting with a number of listeners there. Feel free to ask a question or leave a comment like Max and Jacob did. And while this show focuses on the books in the Legends timeline, feel free to contact me about anything in Star Wars. Legends, canon, TV shows, books, movies. I'm no expert, but I enjoy fun discussions. Anyway, it's time to talk about today's book, Rogue Planet by Greg Bear. Let's head in to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. The story begins with Anakin about to join a dangerous, illegal flying race in the garbage tunnels of Coruscant. The contestants use what's described as something like a jet-propelled hang glider through the garbage tunnels while trying to avoid the jets that propel humongous trash pellets into space. While Anakin waits for the race to begin, he's attacked by a blood carver named Kadave, who's been sent to kill the young Padawan. The blood carver damages Anakin's glider, and the two plummet into the garbage pit at the bottom of the tunnel. Now luckily for Anakin, Obi-Wan arrives just in time to save him. They flee the garbage tunnels, leaving the blood carver in the pit. The two return to the Jedi Temple and are called before the Masters. There, Mace Windu assigns them a mission. They are being sent to the mysterious planet Zonama Seacott. Once there, they're to try and purchase one of the strange living spacecrafts from the planet and to find out what happened to a Jedi named Vergeer, who was sent to Zanama Seacott a few years prior but never returned. Meanwhile, someone else is interested in Zanama Seacott, Commander Wilhuff Tarkin of the Republic Security Forces. Tarkin orders his old friend and former military commander, Wraith Sinar, to reach out and search for the planet. Tarkin wants to understand the planet's technology and military capabilities. He offers Sinar command of a small task force equipped with troops and droids from the recently conquered Trade Federation. Sinar is wary of the mission parameters, so in order to ensure his cooperation, Tarkin places Kadave, the blood carver, on Sinar's flagship. If Sinar refuses to follow Tarkin's orders, Kadave will be there to kill him. Now Anakin and Obi-Wan arrive at Zanama Seacott and find the planet covered with lush plant life, including huge tree-like organisms called Boros. They're welcomed by a group of people called Pharaohans, blue-skinned humanoids that settled on Zanama Seacott years before. The Pharaohans tend to the living planet and assist visitors who wish to purchase a Sakotan airship. 
Anakin and Obi-Wan ask to buy a ship, but first they have to go through a ceremony with Sokotan seed partners, little thorn-covered balls that seem to have a primitive consciousness. In order to buy a ship, a prospective buyer must bond with a handful of the seed partners, usually two or three, which will be shaped and molded into a unique ship. When Anakin and Obi-Wan enter the large chamber, thousands of the little seed partners rush over to inspect them. Now three of the little spike balls bond with Obi-Wan, clinging to his robes, but twelve of them attach themselves to Anakin, more than anyone has ever bonded with before. Now, in order to build their ship, the two have to meet with the Magister, the leader of the planet, and get his blessing. The Magister is a strange man. He looks kind of like a spectral being, like maybe he's not really there. The Magister explains that he's the leader of the Faroan and Langisi settlers on Zonamasikot and that he speaks for the planet. When Obi-Wan asks what exactly that means, the Magister doesn't really answer, but gives them permission to go and purchase an airship and bids them farewell. Meanwhile, Wraith Sinar's task force arrives in the outskirts of the system, too far for any sensors from Zonoma Seacott to detect it. Sinar orders Kadave to take a shuttle down to the planet to do a little snooping around and to try to purchase a Sokotan spaceship for themselves so they can study it. The bloodcarver's hesitant, but he agrees. Now the next morning, Obi-Wan and Anakin are taken to the forging valley with their seed partners and meet with the Langisi forgers. A man named Vagno takes the seed partners and hurls them into the forging pits. Vagno and his team stir the pit, adding pellets and branches from the boros to the fire. The ceremony bothers Anakin, who feels the pain and confusion coming from the seed partners as they churn in the fire. Then, Vagno and his team raise their tools and call down lightning from the boros ringing the top of the valley. The bolts crash down into the fire pit, popping the seed partners and allowing the forgers to pound them into discs. Now, once the forging is completed, the young Jedi are sent to the Shapers. There, they sit inside special frames while the Shapers place the seed partner discs around them. Then, the frames are sent to the Gentari, huge, genetically engineered cyborgs that mold and shape the discs into frames. Once the Gentari are finished, the frames are given back to the Shapers to install the engines and the electronics required for flight. Now, at the same time the Jedi are in the Forging Valley, Kadave is in the chamber of the Seed Partners. But none of the little spike balls bond with the Blood Carver, and he's rejected from buying a ship. When Kadave reports the failure, Sinar knows his time is running out on the mission. He sends a fake message to Tarkin, one that he knows will bring the commander with a larger task force, one big enough to attack Zanama Seacott. Meanwhile, Sinar launches his droid starfighters to strafe the planet. The droids attack the main Faroan settlement. Obi-Wan is knocked unconscious in the attack, and the blood carver takes advantage. He takes Anakin and a girl named Jabatha, the Magister's daughter, hostage. The blood carver threatens to kill Jabatha unless Anakin flies the three of them away in the new Sokotan ship. Anakin agrees, but tells the blood carver the ship doesn't have enough fuel to reach orbit. They'll have to find a station first and refuel. 
The Blood Carver agrees and orders Anakin to fly to the fuel station near the Magister's Palace. Tarkin arrives with a 12-ship task force. He places Sinar under arrest and takes control of the attack. He has the ships launch sky mines to surround the planet and orders an invasion, convinced that the planetary defenses are minimal. However, as more Sokotan ships launch from the planet than expected, Tarkin and Sinar witness several large rectangular bulges, several kilometers in diameter, begin rising from the jungle. Now when Obi-Wan regains consciousness, he asks for a ship to pursue Anakin, and a pharaoh named Shapa offers to fly Obi-Wan after his Padawan. Along the way, Obi-Wan asks Shapa about the strange Magister. Shapa tells him the original Magister was a former Jedi named Leor Hal, who left the Order decades ago. And when Hal died, his son became Magister and ordered the settlers of Zonama Seacott to start building weapons and selling the special Sokotan spaceships to off-worlders. Anakin lands his ship at the airfield near the Magister's Palace, but nothing looks like it did before. Instead of a huge building complex, there's the remains of a massive landslide and ruins. Jabatha sprints into the ruins, calling out for her father. The blood carver orders Anakin to follow, but he refuses, his anger rising. Soon, Anakin's rage boils over, screaming at the blood carver, Stop! Stop! Please! I can't hold it back any longer! Jabatha hears the screams and turns back from the ruins. She sees the blood carver walking toward her, bleeding profusely, his eyes white. Then Anakin emerges from the shadows, fear in his eyes. Kadave collapses on the ground, and Anakin rushes to help him, holding the blood carver's head, willing him not to die. But it's no use. Kadave dies in Anakin's arms. Jabatha screams and runs back into the ruins to look for her father. Slowly, Anakin rises, turns, and follows. Now down a dark passageway, Anakin finds Jabatha kneeling beside a pile of rocks, a man's body buried beneath it. Just then, he sees a vision of Vergeer, the Jedi that went missing on Zanama Seacott those years ago. The vision turns into the Magister, who tells Anakin he's a friend whose name is Seacott. Now Seacott tells Anakin about the unusual planet. Zonama is the planet that houses the life and the settlers. Seacott is the planet's consciousness, created by all the living things on Zonama. The planet was attacked years ago by a group of people the settlers called the Far Outsiders, the Far Outsiders used living technology as well, but not like the Pharaohans and the Langisi. Their technology was used for war and conquest. Seacott and the Magister were able to defend the planet, but not before the Far Outsiders destroyed parts of the Great Tampasi Force and the Magister's palace, killing him. Since then, Seacott has been projecting an image of the Magister whenever meeting with people. As Anakin and Jabatha leave the ruins, a sky mine delivery ship lands. It's Tarkin. He takes Anakin hostage and loads Anakin's Sokotan ship to take back to Coruscant for study. When Obi-Wan arrives at the ruins of the Magister's palace, he finds Jabatha and the bloodcarver's body. Obi-Wan puts Jabatha in Shapa's ship and orders the man to flee. As the droid starfighters descend on the ruins, 
Obi-Wan had nugs his lightsaber. But out of nowhere, the ship that he and Anakin had chartered to take them to Zanama Seacot arrives, destroying the two droid starfighters, and picks up Obi-Wan. The pilot tells Obi-Wan that Anakin was forced into a Republic dropship and is headed out to orbit. The ship catches the Republic dropship and docks on its belly. Obi-Wan cuts into the ship, depressurizing it. As the air rushes out into space, he and Anakin jump into their Sokotan ship, sealing it. Meanwhile, Tarkin and Sinar jump in an escape pod and flee. The Sokotan ship launches from the dropship just as it explodes, and Anakin and Obi-Wan head back into the planet's atmosphere. Now, when Tarkin's pod is recovered, he orders the cruisers to fire on the planet to destroy the settlements and the forging valley. He also orders all the droid starfighters to pursue the Jedi ship and destroy it before it can escape. Anakin and Obi-Wan evade the droid starfighters and flee to orbit. As they prepare to make the jump to hyperspace, they're struck by a bolt from one of the cruisers. Anakin can feel the Sokotan ship cry out in pain. The bolt hit it broadside. It's mortally wounded. But it says it's well enough to make a small hyperspace jump to get the Jedi to safety. Now, right before they jump, Anakin and Obi-Wan see enormous engines flare from the giant rectangles on the planet. They watch in stunned silence as Zonama Seacott jumps into hyperspace and disappears. The two Jedi make a small jump to the planet Selene. The Sokotan ship is too damaged to make it to Coruscant. When they land, they contact the Jedi Temple for transportation home. As they wait, Anakin names the Sokotan ship the Jabatha, and then the two Jedi sit with Jabatha as its color slowly fades and the ship dies. The boy loses everything he loves. Obi-Wan thinks, but still he is strong. Time for a break. When we return, I'll talk about what I liked and what I didn't like from Rogue Planet. I'm Aaron Motes. You're listening to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. Hey, everybody. Allow me to recommend a book from Star Wars canon, A New Dawn by John Jackson Miller. If you like Star Wars Rebels, you won't want to miss the story of how former Padawan Kanan Jarrus meets Rebel agent Hera Syndulla. Ever since he escaped Order 66, Kanan has wandered the galaxy, keeping his head down and taking odd jobs. But when the Empire kills one of Kanan's friends, he must decide whether to keep running or join Hera and her group to fight back. It's a story of hope, adventure, and a little romance. That's A New Dawn by John Jackson Miller. Welcome back to the Star Wars Legends Lounge, the show that celebrates the books from Star Wars Legends. I'm Aaron Motes, and today I'm talking about the book Rogue Planet by Greg Bear. First off, I think I have to say that this is the first book since I've been doing the show that just wasn't my cup of tea. It was difficult for me to get through. I wasn't really that interested in the plot and 
I'm a plot person. Um, I understand that you need characters that you are interested in in order to stay interested in a book and to be invested in what is happening. But I'm more of a plot person, particularly the first time I read a book. I need things to happen that I'm interested in. And the plot of this book just wasn't for me. Now, that doesn't mean the plot of this book may not be for you. Or that doesn't mean that this book doesn't have some really interesting things in it. I've said before on the podcast that I like when Star Wars gets weird. I enjoy things that we don't typically see in the movies or in television shows. Things that are kind of off the wall, especially groups of people or things that use the Force in a different way than what we usually see from the Jedi or the Sith. And I'll give it to the author. He went weird. I'm just saying it didn't work for me. Now, I've read the new Jedi Order series that has the Yuzhan Vong and Zanama Seacott. I know that that is kind of a polarizing series of books for most Star Wars Legends readers. I happen to really like the New Jedi Order. But one of the things about that series that I had a difficult time with was the planet Zanama Seacott, the living planet. So that was probably one of the reasons why I had some issues with this book. It was nice to see something that was connected to parts of the Star Wars universe in Legends that take place decades later. That I liked. But Zanama Seacott has confused me. It always has confused me. A living planet, to me, seems more like something out of a comic book series. And I understand that some of Star Wars is told through comics. I think most of you listeners understand what I mean when I say something sounds like it's from comics. And to me, the Star Wars saga... It's not a comic book story. It reminds me too much of the living planet from the Marvel comics. Uh, I believe it's called Ego. Not that there are similarities between them. I'm not going to say I've ever read any of the comics that the Ego living planet is in, because I haven't. But a planet that All living things live in such a symbiotic relationship that the planet births a consciousness is just something that's a little too weird, I guess, for me in the Star Wars universe. That's one of the major things about this book that just wasn't up my alley. And then one of the other things is I 
just don't really find Anakin Skywalker that interesting. I never have. Um, I love Vader. I find Vader interesting. I know they're the same people, but to me, they're basically different people. So Anakin in his Padawan days, that's not my favorite part of the timeline. However, as I said, I like to normally look at the positives in a book. And I think there's a lot of stuff in this book that people who like this kind of story will really enjoy. The interactions between Obi-Wan and Anakin are well-written. A lot of them go into some interesting subjects, particularly some of Obi-Wan's self-talk. You get a lot of the doubt that Obi-Wan has about training Anakin Skywalker. Now, this is 12-year-old Anakin, so this is only three years after Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon found Anakin on Tatooine. Qui-Gon's only been dead for three years. Obi-Wan has a lot of reservations, not about Anakin specifically, but about training Anakin. There are portions of this book where Obi-Wan keeps telling himself, I wish Qui-Gon were here to help me, to kind of tell me what to do. I don't really understand what I'm supposed to be doing here. And that stuff I find really interesting. That, if you're a fan of Obi-Wan Kenobi, and you're a fan of the Obi-Wan and Anakin dynamic, I think there's stuff in this book you'll get. Now, I know most of the Obi-Wan and Anakin dynamic people know of is from Anakin in his very late teenage years and his early 20s. Keep in mind, this is Anakin at 12. There are things in this book that reflect Anakin being 12 years old. With that, there are a few things about Anakin that if you really like him, I think you'll really like. We get a look at some of his inner thoughts. Anakin thinks about the anger that he has inside of him. And he's constantly telling himself he shouldn't feel this way. He's studying to become a Jedi. He has to learn how to live with it and let it go. But every time he gets angry, he pushes that anger down into a pit inside of his stomach. And even he says multiple times through this book, this is not what I should be doing. I'm having difficulty letting this anger go. But the issue is, with both Obi-Wan and Anakin, these things they're saying, they only say to themselves. You know, they're, it's only in their own heads. It's only their own thoughts. What they need to do is simply to have a conversation with each other. <laughs> and I understand, you know, easy to say, Aaron, how many different things do we see on television, movies, reading books, in real life, would be fixed if people just had conversations with each other? It's not having those conversations that usually makes a story compelling and gives the story some tension. I understand that. 
And I understand they can't have those conversations. I'm just saying you see their thought processes of both Anakin and Obi-Wan and numerous times in this book, you're rooting for them to just sit down and talk to one another about their reservations and about their fears. And in that, I think the author, Greg Bear, does a really good job. Another aspect of this book that's pretty interesting is Tarkin's portrayal. Now, this is only three years after the Battle of Naboo. So it's still the Galactic Republic. Yes, there is now a new Supreme Chancellor, but Supreme Chancellor Palpatine does not have all of the emergency powers that he'll be given, what, seven or eight years from now during the Attack of the Clones. So it's pretty interesting how in this book, Tarkin numerous times talks about how the Republic is changing, that now that the Trade Federation has been brought in line and been brought back into the Republic to where they're supplying ships, they're supplying soldiers, they're supplying droids, but all the while, Tarkin talks about how it's easier to deal with humans than with aliens, and that you're going to see humans basically taking over all positions of leadership and all of the important positions in business. Again, this is a decade before the formation of the Empire, but you can slowly see it happening. I guess you could slowly, I guess you could first see it happening during episode one, The Phantom Menace. This is three years later. So you can start to see that snowball rolling down the hill. Now, those are some of the good things about this book. Is there anything in this book that we could see in canon? I would say I'm doubtful. I don't think the planet Zonama Seacott in this form would ever be made canon. Could I see them ever just naming a planet Zonama Seacott? Sure. I don't think it would be a living planet with a planetary consciousness that speaks to people. I doubt you would see any of these living starships where the ship and the pilot have a symbiotic relationship. I'm not saying that that's impossible, but I doubt it. I do think you could get some stories based upon Obi-Wan and young Anakin where many of their inner dialogues are similar to the ones they have in this book. Let's face it, in canon right now, there's about a 10-year gap between The Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones 
where we don't have any Obi-Wan and Anakin stories. In fact, I can't really think of any stories during that time, except for maybe a Padme story. I think there may be, yeah, I think there may be one or two Padme stories that take place during that time, but they're stories where Anakin and Obi-Wan aren't there. So I do think this period of the timeline in canon is ripe for good storytelling. And hopefully we'll see some of that in the future. Anyway, it looks like this episode's running a little long, so I guess I'll have to get out of here. But before I wrap up, again, if you would like to contact me, please feel free to email the show at swlegendslounge at gmail.com or send a tweet at legendslounge1. You can ask me a question or send me a nice message. I'd love to hear from you. Now, once again, on the Legends Lounge Twitter feed on Saturday, May 22nd, I will list the next 10 books that I'm going to be reviewing on the show based upon quite a few suggestions that you listeners have sent me. So again, thank you very much. So the next episode will be out on June 4th. Until then, thank you very much for listening to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. I'm Aaron Motes, and remember, there's always a bit of truth in Legends.